Can you believe it's the month of February already? Wow. And Valentine's Day. Do you realize that Valentine's Day comes on Sunday this year? I have a, I have a really good idea what you can do with your Valentine for Valentine's Day. Bring them to New Hope <laughs> next Sunday morning. Uh, actually, what I'm going to do this month for, for the, t- today and the next three Sundays, I'm going to uh, give you a love story right out of the Bible. How many of you know that your Bible is more than just a history book? It's more than just a book of prophecies. There's poetry in the Bible. There's wisdom in the Bible. In fact, when you hold your Bible, you're holding a library of 66 books. And they're powerful books, wonderful books, and uh, interesting stories. And we're going to go way back into the Old Testament and get a hold of one of those interesting stories. I'm actually connecting with Children's Church this month. We're, they're teaching the same thing in Children's Church that I'm preaching here uh, throughout the month of uh, February. I'm taking you to the book of Ruth in your Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Three words, I think, describe the book of Ruth, the, the story, the love story. It's, uh, it, it, it's beautiful, and yet it's filled with all the drama that you would expect from a, from a good novel. Uh, only it's the Word of God, so it has life in it as well as an interesting story. But it's a story of love, of loss, and of legacy. Ruth is dealing with the issues of love, loss, and legacy, and we'll look at these over the next few years. But there's, it contains, the book of Ruth contains some memorable passages, and you're going to recognize them when we hit them because they're passages that you've used and expressed Uh, for many years perhaps. It tells of love between a husband and a wife. It talks about love between uh, a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. You did know that was possible, didn't you? Um, Yes, indeed. In fact, listen, folks, we're supposed to be Christians. They ought to be love for all of us with our in-laws and our outlaws. We, we need to pray for them and love them. And, uh, it, and maybe most importantly, it's a story of the love of God for the Jewish people and those who have been grafted in, the Gentiles, which includes you and me, because our Heavenly Father loves everybody. There's going to be the story of loss because there's some heartache in the book of Ruth. But then it's going to end with a legacy, and the final net result is a legacy that preserves and adds, becomes a part of the messianic line, uh, and is preserved through the characters that we see in this book. So we're off and running. Actually, we're going to read the entire book from the pulpit. Not this morning, but I'm going to read the whole first chapter because I'm going to preach the whole first chapter this morning. First of all, I want you to see a Hebrew family in Moab. Hebrew family in Moab. Naomi is uh, one of the main characters, and she comes to this right in the front of the book. And so we're going to read about her and the heartbreak that she went through. I'm going to read the first five verses now of the book of Ruth, and I'm reading from the Message Bible. Once upon a time, it was back in the days when judges led Israel, 
There was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem and Judah left home to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. His sons were named Milon and Kilion, all Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They all went to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech died. Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpha, the second Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years. But when the two brothers, Milon and Kilion, died, now the, women, the woman was left without either her young men, her sons, or her husband. Let me just go through a few points of interest here in this first little section. First of all, you'll notice that it says there was a famine in Bethlehem. Now, that almost sounds like a paradox because... Um, uh, the, the, the fact is that Bethlehem, the, by definition, means a house of bread. Bethlehem was a very fertile area. The, the land was good. The crops typically grew well in Bethlehem. Bethlehem typically was a fairly prosperous area. And so it seems, it seems strange that there would be a famine in the house of bread. And yet, we don't have to search far in the Scripture to understand why. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 17, or Deuteronomy chapter 28, many of you are familiar with that chapter, verse 15, and especially verses 22 to 24, when it talks about the blessings of God and the curses of those who don't follow God, you realize that what actually happened in Bethlehem was the city of Bethlehem, the inhabitants of the city of Bethlehem had basically backslidden. They weren't serving God. And so God began to withdraw his hand of blessing from them. And when God withdraws his hand of blessing, you are left to whatever may happen, and it's never good. And so in the house of bread, there comes a famine, a lack of food, an economy that is teeter-tottering, an economy that is in trouble. Let me tell you something this morning, church. There's a parallel here between what happened then and what's going on in America right now. We are at that point where America is really, I think, at a crossroads. And if we continue to stray as a culture away from God and God continues to back away from us with his blessings, we're going to be in serious trouble, serious trouble. Already, we have more people out of work than, than it's been in, in modern times. And, 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 and it's hard to find jobs, and people are losing jobs, and, and, and the, the economy is shaky. It hasn't been stable for a long, long time. And, and you, you, listen, this is not a Democrat problem or a Republican problem. This is a, this is a church problem. That the body of Christ needs to humble themselves and pray and seek the face of God so that he will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. That's the promise of God. Amen. And, and so there, there was a problem there. Now, let me, let me give to you the prominent names in this story. 
First of all, we read it a while ago, Elimelech, he's the, he's the dad, he's the father, he's the patriarch of the family. His name literally means my God is king. His wife's name is Naomi, which means pleasant, delightful, lovely. Their son, Milon, his name means weak and sickly, and Kilion means failing or pining. In fact, you can kind of see from their names that, that physically they, they weren't real healthy and strong, at, at least the boys. Now, the Scripture here talks about a long journey. They, they went from Bethlehem in Judah all the way to the country of Moab, now, you had to be intentionally going to get there. You didn't just go out one day and wind up in, in uh, Moab. The, the journey from Bethlehem to Moab, uh, to Moab uh, took a, a long hike through the desolate Jericho Pass and, and then through the Judean wilderness and near the, Red, uh, the Dead Sea and all across, you had to cross the Jordan River and finally you would reach Moab. So this was a long journey for these folks as they went there. Now, notice this, and, and you have to go to one of the other translations like the King James, New King James to get this, but, but it says that that when they went, they sojourned there. In other words, when Elimelech took his family out of Bethlehem, Judah, and went to Moab, he never intended to stay there. He meant to live there for a while. His reasoning was this. Something's happened to the economy here. We're not doing well. I hear that things are good in Moab, so let's go over there and stay until things get better here, and we will come back. That was the intention of the family when they left. Then there is tragedy that struck them. Elimelech never intended to stay there. He intended to come back after a while, but little did he know he was going to die there. He would never again see Bethlehem in this life. He died. He died. What a tragedy, especially in, in that culture and in that day for a woman to lose her husband and leave her a widow meant that life would be hard. But there was a ray of hope. She had two sons. And, and so the, she had two boys who could work and help take care of her and help provide for her. And, and in the midst of the sorrow, there's, there's a little bright spot here. Not only did she have these two boys, but, but eventually these two boys fall in love and get married. Now, again, this was not the intention of Elimelech when he took his family over there. He never intended for his boys to marry girls in Moab. He meant to come back to Bethlehem and let them marry in the Hebrew family. But as time goes by and they're associating where they are and they're grown and they're of marrying age, who are they going to marry? They're going to marry the, somebody that they know, somebody around them. And so they marry two Moabite girls. And, and so, so there's, a, there's the fun and the festivity of a wedding. There's the excitement of newlyweds. And, and I'm sure that Naomi, for a little while, to help 
help her over the grief and the loss of her husband, she rejoiced in the families of her sons as they're getting married. Uh, One of the girls' name was Orpha. That means fawn after a, a deer. And the other was named Ruth, which means friend. But then there's more tragedy in this story. Fast forward 10 years. 10 years go by, and then her two sons die. Mylon and Kilion both die. We don't know what they died of. We, 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 we don't know what would cause two young men in the same family to die in close proximity of each other. I don't know. Don't, don't know whether a plague hit the place or whether the influenza or... Uh, we don't know what caused it. All we know is that the two young men die. And now you have Naomi, a widow, and Naomi having lost both of her sons. Now you can imagine how tough life is going to be. Which brings me to the next part of this first chapter. And it tells of Ruth's devotion and her vow, verses 6 to 18. I'm going to read it again for you. Beginning at verse 6. One day, this is speaking of Naomi, one day she got herself together, she and her two daughters-in-law, to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. She had heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. And so she started out from the place she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law with her, on the road back to the land of Judah. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, go back, go home and live with your mothers, and may God treat you as graciously as you have treated your deceased husbands and me. Let me stop here just a moment and say that even though Elimelech and Naomi were not able to go back home to get a wife for their boys. These two Moabite girls were good wives to their husbands. How do you know that, preacher? Because their mother-in-law bragged on them. You're a good woman when your mama-in-law brags on you. (laughs) Amen. You're a fine lady when your mother-in-law brags on you. And, and the mother-in-law is saying here to them, you've been good to my sons. You've been, you've been good wives. So that, that's quite a testimony. And not only to them, but she said to me, you've been good to me. Let me continue to read. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. She kissed them and they cried openly. They said, no, we're going on with you to your people. But Naomi was firm. Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who could become your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters, on your way, please. I'm too old to get a husband. Why, even if I said there is still hope and this very night got a man and had, two, had sons, can you imagine being satisfied to wait until they were grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No, dear daughters, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter than for you. God has dealt with me hard, a hard blow. Again, they cried openly. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. 
But Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and gods. Go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. Isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that a beautiful story? Now, some points to consider from this. Number one, three widows now are headed towards Bethlehem. Three widows, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law headed towards Bethlehem. Naomi petitions her daughters to go back to Moab. And she had good reason for that. She knew that it would be hard to make a living in Bethlehem, Judah, without a husband. And so she said to those girls, look, you, you've got families here in Moab. You, you, you can go back to your mother. Your mother will always love you. You, you. you can stay with your people. You have a better chance of survival here than if you go back with me. Naomi explains how difficult it would be and, and if they followed, and she pleads with them to return. And, and she even explains what it would be like if they go back. Here's the, here's the culture of that day. And, and in fact, the, the law that they lived by said that if your husband dies, then his brother is the one that's to marry you. And, and Naomi says to them, look, if you go back with me, this, this is the way we do it back, back in Bethlehem. Judah, typically what you, what you do, the brother takes, but the brothers died also. And so the, the only hope for you would be that if I could remarry and I had sons, and would you wait that long? My goodness, look how old you're going to be. If, if I could, and, and who knows if that could happen? Who knows if I could remarry? Who knows if God would give me more children? We, we don't go back home. And so Orpha kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and goes back home. But Ruth hangs on, and she makes that eloquent statement. Uh, I, I know, you know, music and things change through the years, but for many years in, in my early days of ministry, almost every wedding I performed had that song in it, Whither Thou Goest. Any of you remember that? It, three? Wow. <laughs> Punch your neighbor and say, wake up, he's still preaching. <laughs> Beautiful song. Whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. That's, that came from the book of Ruth. And it came from the heart of Ruth. And let me say this, folks. Naomi made a statement here about how, God, how hard God had been on her. And, and we'll see it again because she, there's some bitterness in her heart over circumstances and situations. But in spite of that bitterness, evidently Naomi had done a good job 
teaching those daughters-in-law about Jehovah God. Remember, in Moab, they didn't serve Jehovah God. They served false gods. They served, they served all kind of gods. And that's the way she was raised. Those girls were raised. They were raised in, a, in a homes that, that were heathen. They were raised in homes that worshiped false gods. But this mother-in-law had such a powerful influence with her life that they were attracted to Jehovah God. Wow. Isn't that a challenge for all of us today? Shouldn't we all strive to live in such a way that when people get around us and become close to us, it, it more than just the testimony of your mouth. Some famous preacher, and I, for a moment it escapes me, I can't remember who it was that said it, but said, witness at all times and if you have to, use words. In other words, your life should be such a witness that there would be something so attractive about you, something so unique about you, something so special in the way that you live that people will want to serve your God. And that's exactly what Naomi did. She lived in such a way that Ruth said, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not going to leave you. I'm going with you. I, I don't care how tough it is. I don't care how bleak you make it. I don't care. I'm, nothing is going to separate us. I'm going to be there when you die, and I'll die in the same place, and, and death is the only thing that could separate us because your people is going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. And so she went with her. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Now, let's go to the return and I'll read the rest of the chapter for you, verses 19 to 22. And so the two of them traveled on together to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was soon buzzing. Is this really Naomi after all this time? But she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life, and God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't. The strong one ruined me. And so Naomi was back with Ruth, the foreigner, with her, back from the country of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, next Sunday is Valentine's, and we'll get to the love part of the story. But this morning is pretty challenging. It's pretty tough, in fact. As you look at this last part of this first chapter, Naomi and Ruth are returning to Bethlehem, but unfortunately, Ruth has some bitterness. Now, the city's excited. Oh, everybody's like, hey, look, here's Naomi. But look what Naomi said. She said, don't, don't, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me lovely. Call me Myra. Call me bitter. Somehow the circumstances of her life, and I'll have to admit to you the circumstances are pretty tough. If you're a young woman and you lose your husband, and you're a young woman and you lose your two sons, and you're coming back with nothing but the clothes on your back, that's a pretty tough place to be in. But what Naomi did not realize, and, and, and we'll see the transition as we go on through the next couple of chapters, 
She, she dealt with that bitterness, thank the Lord, and God was able to change it. Listen to me this morning, folks. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how tough your battle is right now. I don't know how difficult your circumstances are right now. But whatever you do, don't allow yourself to get bitter. Fight it with everything that's in you. Resist it with all that's in you. Don't get bitter. The fact is, regardless of what you can see today, we still serve a good God. Amen? We serve a good God. And we have the promises of God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll go with us all the way even to the end of the world. So don't allow yourself, don't allow a root of bitterness to spring up in your heart because you're going to have to deal with that. And it's not good. And, and if, if you're there this morning, I, I encourage you at prayer time to come and just surrender that to the Lord. Get that out of your heart. Because here's the thing. Regardless of how difficult your circumstances are now, God has a good ending to your story. Amen? He has a good ending to your story. Would you stand with me, please, this morning? Naomi said, I went out full, but I came back empty. Let me just speak to those of you that are fighting with temptations, those of you that are being drawn towards the world. You, 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 you may see the pretty picture that Satan's painting but he's not showing you the end of that way. She said, I went out full, but I've I come back in. You'll always come back empty when you follow the devil. He'll strip you of everything you have. Just ask the prodigal son in Luke 15. He, he saw the bright lights, wine, women, and song. It looked good, and he wanted to take his full of the pleasures of the world. Never dreamed that he was going to wind up in a hog pen. Satan doesn't show you that part of the story. Anybody in here old enough to remember back when they used to advertise cigarettes on billboards and they had the big old billboard sign of the Marlboro Man? Anybody remember the Marlboro Man? Boy, he was sitting up there. He was rugged. He was tough. He was a good-looking dude, and his face tanned just right, and he, he had it together. The Marlboro Man. They, they never show you the other side of the billboard. They never show you the old man dying with lung cancer. <laughs> what about all the beer commercials? I, I, I saw a little bit of a special they did the other night on the top 50 commercials that are shown at the Super Bowl, during the Super Bowl, top 50. Most of them are Budweiser commercials, beer commercials. Man, they show you the zest of life. Boy, you know, life, you, you, you got the world by the string and a string around your finger. If you just, they don't show you the homes that have been destroyed by alcohol, the lives that have been emaciated. They, they, Satan doesn't show you that. They went out full. They came back empty. I want to tell you, you better take another look. If you're fighting the temptation and the draw of the world today, you better take another look. Oh, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and tell you there's no pleasure in sin. There, it's out there. Yeah. 
The Bible doesn't even, the Bible, remember in Hebrews chapter 11, Moses, when he was come to years, chose to suffer the affliction of God's people rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's pleasure in sin. There's fun in sin. You, you can have a good time. But Moses was smart enough as a young man to realize that that fun doesn't last very long. And the price of that fun is far too high to be reasonable. And so he said, I'm not going that route. I'm not going that route. Let me conclude by, and I preached a sermon on this years ago, and I've made these statements many, many times, and others have. You've heard it. It's not original with me. But sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll always cost you more than you want to pay. Don't fall for the lies of the devil. Don't do it. Lemelech said, we're just going to sojourn. He died there. Jesus said, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his ultimate goal. No matter how much fun it looks like at first, his ultimate goal is to steal everything you have, kill you, destroy you. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come while heads are bowed. We want to pray with you today. I don't know what you're dealing with, but God sent me here this morning to challenge you to take another look. And if you're one of those who has gone away from the house of bread, won't you come back home today? Won't you come back home? Come on. Come on. The Heavenly Father's waiting for you. He loves you. So if you're away from God, come back home. If you're struggling with temptation today, bring it to the Lord. Ask Him to give you the strength and the courage to resist and to stand firm. If you've never received the Lord as your Savior, come give your heart to Jesus today. If you have other needs, the altar's open. The next few minutes, whatever you need. If you want prayer for your body, we'll pray for you and believe God to heal you. If, if you have needs, job needs or family needs, whatever your needs might be, bring them to the Lord, casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. God bless you as you respond. The altar's open. Come. You may want somebody to join you in prayer and believe with you. Or you may want to just come and find a place, just you and the Lord. But come and let's talk to him today.